get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing. And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we're talking about one of the most popular topics, confidence. And we're specifically going to speak to confidence killers. Uh, So I think we all have experienced at this point, whether you played high-level athletics or you are just a human period (laughs) those days when all of a sudden it seems you just like I don't believe in myself I I suck I don't know what's happening maybe I should quit whatever this thing is I'm doing I say it with parenting I say it with coaching (laughs) I say all sorts of things so I want to have Alicia start this off with one of the things that really really gets at players specifically. Um, and I think again, all humans do this. So think about it in your frame of mind too. So Alicia, tell us about how comparing ourselves to others can kill our confidence. That's a, that's a really good question. But unfortunately, I think in my experiences only with girls, of course, I, I don't know if boys do this, but with girls, I think that that's something that they, they do all the time. Right. Um, they do it on social media. They do it in school. They do it with their peer groups. They do it on the field. So in the context of softball, you know, they're constantly surrounded by um, people of different talents, right? And, and any team, any, any age group is comprised of different talents. And that's the only thing they see, right? They see the results and just compare themselves constantly to the girl next to her, um, to mostly their peers on their team. I don't know how much they compare to other uh, necessarily teams around, but I think that they do it mostly with the people that they know because that's what they know. Um, and maybe on their high school team or middle school team, if they have one and uh, travel teams too. And I think that that, you know, girls have to feel good to play good. And I think that when they start comparing themselves instantly, it starts to their, their performance starts to go down because they, they see what somebody else is doing and well, why, you know, they're hitting home runs all the time or, or whatever. And that's such a dangerous thing. And I, and like you mentioned before in the intro, like parenting and do the same thing. Right. And I've, I've had to learn that nobody parents like me, just like nobody coaches like me. So, and I think that as soon as you compare only what you see, and that's, that's, I think the lesson I learned from parenting and a coaching standpoint Um, I used to do it early in my career too. I don't do it anymore. I've learned, Um, but I would do it. I would look at other coaches and see how they were coaching, compare myself to to that person or as a parent, compare myself to how that mom was interacting with their daughter or how they discipline or how they, you know, how do they cheer them on? However it may be. And it just, it's a dangerous trap. It's a dangerous trap. And it's, it's crazy. It's so true. And (laughs) It just happens naturally. I think it's our gauge of like, okay, how am I doing? Um, so you can, you have to compare, but I think it's then when the judgment comes into it, like I'm comparing, mm. and I'm judging myself because I'm not as far along as her, or I uh, I should be better than this person. Mm-hmm. We get that all the time too because they work really hard. These kids work hard. Like <laughs> don't have to worry about that with this generation. They know how to do that. So good job parents doing that 
And now we need to give them the extra added benefit of not forgetting all that work they put in by just comparing to something else that honestly is blown out of proportion most of the time. Yeah. And I think, I think as a parent, it's natural because I I've done it in the very beginning of watching my daughter and her soccer career, right? You, you start judging your kid's performance against other kids' performance and somehow it becomes a reflection on your parenting. And that's so not true. And I think there's some good quotes out there, right. For, for coaches, for parents, right. To, to, to like either post or to say like your kid's ability has not, is not a reflection on your parenting abilities. And I think that that, that too can create some some of the craziness, you know, that, that we've seen as coaches, um, or even as parents from the sidelines, I've witnessed parents, uh, as a parent on the sideline, say some unbelievable, crazy things. And as a coach, I'm able to tune that out. I learned in my career early, it's just, I've tuned that out and I don't pay attention to what they say in the field or, or on the other side of the fence. But as a parent sitting on the sidelines, you don't have any, you don't have any choice. So I think that that's the dangerous, why I called it a dangerous trap to fall into, because as soon as you start comparing either yourself to somebody else um, or your kid to somebody else's kid, I mean, that's the trap that you can fall in. And it's, it's just not a good place to go because there is no other example, just like your, your own kid or yourself. And, and that's when you start to embrace you and embrace your uniqueness, embrace who you are and where you are in your journey. Um, and I think when kids can start to learn that n- not to compare themselves to other kids and to like truly love them for who they are and everything that they do, you start to really empower your girls. And I know that that's a word that we've used a lot, right? For We want to empower them. We want to empower them to do um, these amazing things in life and, and be free and who you are and, and comfortable with who you are. But I think it's where it starts, right? If you can, if you can communicate that and get through that, break through those barriers with your kids about not comparing is, is where that starts. For sure. And I think our sport is also set up to kind of screw us over mm-hmm. <laughs> this way. Yep. Cause we have like the standard stats as what I'm thinking of, especially correct. Um, so my batting average versus your batting average, my ERA versus yours. Um, so of course that direct correlation is never going to be the same. And also we now know uh, more people are talking about this and really digging into stats. Hey, thank you, Moneyball. Um, <laughs> they don't tell nearly the full picture. So what I've come to myself, which I am actually working with my, um, first group of practice plan accelerator folks, um, is, kind of like how to assess and how to track and how to keep yourself growing and moving in forward, but in your own frame of view. So like we used to have, remember the pie chart that we made for the C's mm-hmm. where like you'd rate yourself on confidence, rate yourself on competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, then like with the same C's around the circle and then like the pie like fills in more of the piece if you're more confident, even that you're like looking at the person next to you, like, what do you think? And then, oh, why am I not more confident now? How about, like we talk about all the time with culture, getting their language, what's important to them. So Alicia, I've got this question for you. I want you to think of a player from the past who like struggled with confidence. Like maybe they were a five out of 10, like they had it in them, but really struggled with it if you could give them three things to focus on that they could measure in some way, like even the things that don't have a stat you can measure, like 
was I more focused today? Yes or no. <laughs> um, what three things would you tell that player to focus on so that then she's only in her lane doing things that are actually going to make her performance go up? Hmm, that's a really good question, but someone came to mind instantly, right? Um, one of my former players, uh, just kind of thinking about her journey from freshman to senior year. Um, the three things that I would tell them to focus on, uh, number one, communication. Like when you're on the field and you're talking, you are, you're not focused on the things that are bringing you down, things like that. Yeah, your mind is just spinning and, and, you know, especially as a younger player, right. Um, on a team in a high school situation, if you're a freshman on a team with older players, that can be intimidating, but when you start communicating and opening up your mouth on the practice field and then in games, um, th that helps divert the attention, so to speak, right. Um, into, a, into the place where you want it to be. And I, I remember very specifically, she was a catcher, uh, very specifically saying to her, you need to communicate. And I don't care if what, like if we're doing a relay, for example, I don't care if you call out the wrong base on a relay. I don't care. It doesn't matter because that's that measurable thing where sometimes we can get ourselves into a trap as a coach, right? Like I, I want you to always call the right base. And if you're not calling the right base, then, you know, you're yelled at or you're in trouble or, or something like, I want you to simply just communicate. And I want you to be loud because my expectation as a coach of my catcher is to be the, you know, the vocal captain of the field. You, and, and I would physically make her move in front of the plate, right? To make that call before the pitch was thrown, how many outs there were, you know, where the runners are and reminding everyone not staying behind the plate because that's their safe zone. When they step out in front of the plate, they are front and center. So, so basically two things, one, before the play, you call it out, you're pointing to, you know, your shortstop or whatever. And you're saying two outs, runner on two, you know, plays at one, whatever. And then during a, during a relay to confidently call out in the uh, correct amount of time, like at the timing is what I'm working on. Right. And if you mess up and you call the wrong base and she's safe or, oh, it's okay. I just want you to go through that. Right. And, um, that was a real big, that was her biggest struggle, I think. Uh, the second thing is control the controllables, right? So you cannot control what other people say or think about you. You can't control the umpire. You can't, the, the same things we've talked about many times on this. Um, but a lot of it has to do with those, those external factors that, that you just can't control. You can't control what your parents are saying on the sidelines behind the fence, you know, or the dugout or what crazy fans you have on the opposite side, or if you're, if your pitcher's throwing well or not throwing well, your job is to not is not to worry about all that stuff. And it's really hard or really easy to say that, but really hard to actually do that, right? And a lot of a lot of the times we just say, nah, don't worry about the external. Actually walk them through what's controllable and what's not controllable because all of the uncontrollables are just piling on top of them, right? And the last one would be just to simply be patient with your progress. Just be patient. You're a freshman. And it isn't meant to like demean them. It's just that you are 15 years old and you just met me for the first three weeks. Like you have no idea how I coach yet. You know, you don't know what your, what your junior uh, third baseman who's going to college is really like until you get to know her um, or your center fielder who's going to eventually be your best friend that you're going to stand in her wedding and be your maid of honor. Like you don't know these things yet. 
So just be patient with the process because you've got a lot to learn and that's okay. We are all here to teach you, including your teammates. So they will give you some grace and I will give you some grace if you know, you, you focus on the things that you can control and meaning going back to that very first thing we talked about communication, you can hundred percent control that. So focus on those and uh, on that and, and be patient with the process because it's a fun journey and you got to embrace it. And we'll be here with you the entire way. I promise, but just make sure that you're patient with that. Oh, those are such good ones. And like, I don't know about you, but before I took this coaching sabbatical, I would have been like, only three? <laughs> I want to work on 12 things with this player. Um, but when you actually talk it out like that, like that was a ton that can cover mm-hmm. the entire season. No problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think when we break it down to what's most important for that kid this year um, and use our power of being able to have perspective because they just can't think of yourself as a kid. You didn't have perspective. <laughs> so like we need to take that role and be able to narrow in the focus enough to let those things grow. Whereas if you hand them the 12 things, I want you to do this this year, that, this, that, this, they're not going to make much progress on any of them. No. And in this particular situation, um, I, I had it, I had the lineup, I had the people to do it. So I didn't let her hit that much. Like I just had her focus on catching because that's a, a very important position, right? It's, it's not like the kid was in right field, right? And didn't have the amount of brain power constantly thinking about every little thing, right? So we also had our pitch, our pitching coach call pitches to take that pressure off of her. That was a thing that we developed with her though. So she could eventually call her own pitches and she eventually was also in the starting lineup uh, for, for hitting. But those were the things that, you know, I'm surrounded by an awesome staff that can help me with that, right? That my pitching coach can help support her in that. Um, and then also having the kids on the bench to be able to do that. So for that kid in that year, like you said, by knowing your players, I thought that was the best for her in order to help her focus on the important things of catching, right? And, and everything that that entails, developing the relationship with your pitcher and things like that. So that's who, by the way, those two are best of friends as well, you know, as of today, playing play college together and just, and just love each other to death. So I think that that's what's, that's what's important. Like you, when you said that about what each kid needs really reminded me of that. And I probably would have added that to number four if you gave me four, but uh, I think it's just important to really know what each kid needs and how you can help them with their development, because it doesn't have to be all in a three month high school season or a, a one summer travel ball season. Or even for me at college, I tried to cram everything into that month before season started or just that in a little bit of fall ball. <laughs> Patience, coach, patience, the coach, right? Really the patience thing was for us coaches. (laughs) It really is true though, because you can't, you can't throw them into the, you know, to the baby into the water and necessarily expect them to swim. I mean, they may not. So (laughs) So, you're my second child. He'd just be like, whatever, whatever. Like some kids can, and that's okay. You know, some kids, like you just mentioned, some kids can do that and some kids will be fine, but you just have to really know each kid and work through the evaluation and what, how you can best support them in their journey. So they aren't worried about all the comparisons for sure which is perfect brings me to my next one it's like we've done this before (laughs) (laughs) the next point i wanted to make was the we've touched on a little bit but i want to really dig into the self comparison because i think that Mm -hmm. one's even sneakier um because it starts with oh well i should be as good as 
my teammate. Uh, I should be better than that person over there. Like, why can't I perform like this person? We're just as talented. Then how does it always turn inward into the shoulds, the I ought to, uh, why can't I? How does it then flip? And have you seen that happen with one of your girls and how'd she get out of it? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of comparison too because of the amount of work they put in, right? I'm doing air quotes. I know you can't see, but you can. So like the, the amount of work that each kid puts in, right? So if I do hitting lessons once a week, every week, if I do the speed and agility training, if I do, if I do, if I do, and the other person does, then I should be, right? Better than, or as equal to. So then again, we're doing that outward, like, you're doing that outward comparison from a physical standpoint, right? So, and I think that that's so, I understand it now, but even as a coach, right, I'll, I'll turn it back to that and then we'll get back to the player where um, when I first started coaching, I was coaching against teams or coaches that had won state championships. They had like five, six, 700 wins. They were speaking at the Michigan high school convention. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I couldn't beat them like, you know, and, and they would just whip up on me all the time. And I'm, well, you know, what, what do they have that I don't, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So clearly it happens for coaches too. And I think when you can take a step back and it's the same thing we tell our kids, we are horrible at that. <laughs> coaches are most of the time give great advice, but can't follow their own advice. And I think that, you know, if, if I would have gone back and to my career, and just been a little more patient and understood, you know, either you're in this for the long haul or you're not like some coaches aren't and that's okay, but some are, and you just have to uh, continue to be yourself and develop at the pace and be patient with your progress. Right. If you would have told me when I first got into coaching where, what my quote unquote stats would be or whatever. Now I wouldn't have believed you not in a million years, but um, with patience and things like that, that's what has, you know, how you can get there. So with players, I think that's even more important because the one thing that I hope coaches can understand is kids want instant, instant um, progress and instant, they, they want instant everything because they have the instant gratification thing, right? It's a lot to do with their environment, technology, and that's just the way they, they are. And because of the environment that they're in, it isn't their fault. So it's also really trying to preach of patience because not every kid is the same, right? You look at, you know, Sally to your right and Jennifer to your left, and they, they have different environments. They have um, different set of skills. They have different strengths and weaknesses physically, mentally, um, because a lot of people say, well, this kid just has it, right? And that kid didn't just have it, like they didn't just, <laughs> but there's so many factors that go into the development of a player that no two experiences would ever be the same. So when you can flip the script and head back to, and go back to yourself and just realize that you own it, that what everything, what every, everything that you do, you own, right? Whether you work out or not, whether you study or not, you own that. And you can focus on those. It goes back to the controllables again. I own this part of what I am doing. So I'm going to get up today and I'm going to work out. Even though your next door neighbor and your shortstop might be doing the same thing. It's okay. 
she, I, I would hope you would want to help her, but you still will not have the same physical attributes as that person. And, and also, like you mentioned it earlier about the stats part, right? Our success should not ever be based on a stat and, uh, or a grade for, you know, I think those are outcomes, right? They're outcomes of, of what you're doing. So if you can focus on those types of things, I think that that is really helpful. And it takes, again, back to patience. It takes kids a long time to understand that and realize that that takes patience on the coach's part and the parent's part too. No kid is going to wake up and be the next cat Osterman, right? Without, without an enormous amount of time and effort, but maybe that's what I shouldn't say or wait, coaches, you know, coaches shouldn't say actually, now that I think about it is that you're the next, no, there is no, there is no other cat Osterman and never will be, but you can be the next, you know, put in a name there, Melanie rushing. Right. So, so I think that that's, what's important that you also as a coach, watch your language, which is something that I just did right. Unknowingly, but just caught myself and thought, shoot, I shouldn't say that. Right. Oh yeah. Happens all the time, (laughs) (laughs) which is nothing I heard coaches talk about all the time. Like the self-awareness piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a while to build that self-awareness because usually it's like oh after the fact <laughs> shouldn't have done after that fact, <laughs> shouldn't have done that or then when you get better at it you catch yourself right after you say it you're like oh wait I take that back <laughs> mm-hmm. that is such a good one okay final thought I want to take you back to something you said earlier uh where girls have to feel good to play good mm-hmm. which yes most I mean granted like you can't lump everyone in one gender, like, and say like, everyone's like this, there's more people individual, but (laughs) for the most part, when we're feeling it, we're playing our best. Mm -hmm. However, I do not want coaches to fall back on that anymore for female athletes. Um, And I also want coaches and male athletes to be aware of it (laughs) because there's certainly male athletes who would fall into this too. So I want to talk about what happens when they feel like poo (laughs) feel terrible that day maybe Mm -hmm. like for me it was always I had a terrible practice the day before a game and I'm like well how am I going to be prepared for the game tomorrow like I feel I don't feel good about it I'm not confident barring any like literally not feeling well (laughs) like sometimes a lot of kids come sick and tired but just the the confidence feeling what do you do to help them get past not feeling good so that they can still start playing good enough and then build it from there? It's a good question. But I think, I think I don't, I don't want coaches either to fall back on that, but what it, to me, what the crux of it all is understanding your players have 95,000 other things going on other than softball. And 99.9% of the time, if they aren't feeling it or aren't, it's because something else is on their minds, right? So um, you think about school and stress and, you know, we just talked about the book I'm reading, right? It's, um, I think it's called The Overachievers, right? It's a very interesting already, um, but just the massive amount of things that kids have on their plate and the stresses and the expectations, and it's all piling onto them all the time. And I think that if um, we could wave a magic wand and take away all external factors, they would all play amazing all the time. Um, But that's not the case. The external factors are there. So I think that making sure that we understand that kids have bad days and bad, you know, things that happen 
that we may not necessarily be aware of and don't need to necessarily know the details of, but at least be aware that something has ha happened or that they're not themselves. Because that will 100% translate on the field. Very few kids um, can actually check that at the door and walk onto the field. And we say that, but they actually, there's very few that can actually do that. Say, I'm going to leave my problems out uh, behind the dugout. And when I step onto the field, I'm going to be fine. Um, but I think what's important is that we, we, we provide a culture that they can have such an awesome supportive team that that helps them get through it because really our, you know, the coach is also the cheerleader and can help them through that, you know, and talking to them a little bit, but their teammates will be the best thing that could ever lift them up and let them know that they care about them as, as individuals. And when you have that supportive culture, kids actually want to come to practice because they know that that can be a genuine relief, but it is not a hundred percent checking it at the door. It's just that I know I have people that care about me and that in itself is enough to be able to help them get through that. And that, that culture has just, I can't even tell you how been, how supportive it has been of so many kids at, you know, at my high school. And I think that that's, what's important. The most important to me is that they want to be there because they enjoy being around each other and can support each other through absolutely anything. And let me be clear to anyone who was like me for a long time, I thought support meant I had to fix it for them. Zero mm percent. -mm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Support is way before fixing and it can take as little as just asking, mm -hmm. Hey, you're right. Like I've seen kids like breaking into tears, like, thank you. Like, just like, thanks for noticing. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I'm not, but I will be half the time. They don't even want to talk about it right then they want to move on to the next thing but just to for someone to recognize that like stuff gets hard sometimes and it's okay and you can still be here you can be here grumpy you can be here in a depressed mood and we got you you'll be all right like just come on out we just want to see you here just even that because I think for a long time especially going through my sports psych uh, program any counseling class I was like I don't know. I can't fix counseling things. Those are hard. Like you gotta, like, gotta have these skills. Of course. Yes. They have lots of skills. That I don't have. However, what they need from their coaches, from their teammates is just like the arm around the shoulder. Like we got you. And I think one of the important things is when they come to the field and you know, they've had a bad day and they are surrounded by teammates that are super supportive and just, they can support them through a rough practice or a rough game or a rough week seen it time and time again. And that in itself is what's so important is that, you know, it happens. You're going to go through transitions in life that are going to affect your performance. So we try to make sure that that's minimized in the long run because you give them tools, right. To be able to help them deal with it. So they can not be, you know, on a free fall or they're just down for a little bit and then come right back up. But I think that that's, what's important is that they, the performance part is always what we focus on. And if you can take that off the table and just realize that sometimes they are going to have bad games, bad weeks, bad months, um, it's okay. As long as the, the kid is okay at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Yes. Oh, good. And it takes, honestly, for me personally, it takes like the stress off. Like you don't have to get them through it right now. They will get through it. You don't have to do all the things and <laughs> make it perfect for them in this moment. They just want to be a part of a supportive culture. All right. Last thing, new segment, swing and miss. 
<laughs> so so many I misses. So I many didn't, misses. <laughs> didn't tell Alicia during this segment. She was like, "What's she gonna say?" Mm-hmm. Uh, so on this topic. I want you to share a way you've swung and missed of building girls' <laughs> confidence. <laughs> oh my, so many to choose from. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I do have, I do have several, um, but I think the one that sticks out in my mind, you know, I kind of wish you wish as coaches, you had do overs with kids all the time. And it was pretty early on in my career. And I had a kid that she was a pitcher and she had all the, uh, physical makings, let's say, of, of an excellent pitcher. She was tall, long limbs, you know, and strong. And she had been, I think, kind of pract- practicing for so long and was was touted really highly before she got to high school. Um, and, and it was kind of like something happened and she couldn't find the strike zone. Like, I, I don't know what it was. Um, I was so early in my career. I, I never, I didn't take the time to develop that relationship with her first. Um, I tried, but not in the way that I would, I would now like just by, by having those side conversations at practice and finding out, you know, a little bit more about the kid. And um, so I, I came up with this idea and I don't remember if I found it or read it or, or whatever, it was dumb. <laughs> I, I had created some sort of a contract for her to sign that had everything to do with like, you know, effort and putting in extra practice and, and something along those lines. I, I, it's been a long time, so I don't remember the details, but I remember very distinctly the contract and just trying to get her to commit to, um, you know, working hard and, and things like that. Again, don't remember the details, but the point is that I made her like asked her to, I didn't make her, I asked her if she'd be willing to, and I had signed it too, like saying that I will be committed to helping you through X, Y, and Z you know, and she showed it to her mom. So, you know, they were all on the same page and, and it just spiraled and I, it made it worse. And I remember thinking, what the hell did you do? And she ended up quitting. She never finished high school softball. Um, I never talked to her again to find out what happened or why. Um, so I think it, it wasn't the contract that, that was wrong. It was the approach that I had that I didn't build the relationship first. And, um, obviously I didn't have much of a relationship with her because she, she quit and, um, I never really talked to her again, unfortunately. Um, I did ask at least some of her teammates, like, is she okay? And things like that. But, um, this was before cell phones and things like that. So it's not like I could have texted her or something like that. So, but I, I just, maybe I chose not to, I, again, I don't remember the details, but that was not the way to go. But at the end of the day, it was just the fact that I was, I was trying desperately to try to help her and fix it. (laughs) And that wasn't, that wasn't something that I was prepared to do. Um, and I should have done, done something a lot different there, there, you know, what would you do now if you had her today? Um, we would definitely be talking a lot more just to find out like the root of the problem. Like years later, you know, there was another picture that came along that had, you know, it wasn't necessarily the physical part of um, not being able to hit the strike zone, a whole host of other things, but but we had developed a, a very strong relationship where we could just talk about it. And we had, I re- unfortunately, we had the breakdown cry uh, discussion in the cage during practice. And I let the assistant coaches just take on, excuse me, continue practice. And, and we had that conversation. Um, it was heartbreaking for her to, for me to hear the things that she was saying on how down she was and some of the things that she just went, I mean, literally wanted to quit. 
uh, that right then and there. Um, but we, we, we put the softball aside and talked about everything else. Um, and then involved a conversation with her mom as well together and, and that kind of thing. So that was, <laughs> maybe I had to go through that, right? To unfortunately, to, to learn the lesson, right? On, on how to handle the situation. And I'm not saying I handle those situations right all the time now, but as long as I can develop that relationship with that kid first, I can talk to them about what's really on their mind and at least let them express what they need to express and give, get help, get them help if they need to and in, in involving the family and finding out what, what's really going on there. But I think that that's definitely a really hard lesson that I had to learn, unfortunately. In there, I'm like pointing to myself as you're going through this, mm-hmm. like, yup, because we want so badly to help, but you skipped the step of mm-hmm. figuring out what the real problem was. Yep, done it millions of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now looking back, I'm like, oh, I see so, how I could have done it now. <laughs> so you share your example. Okay, my example is a little bit different. It's more kind of the, the feel good, the play good thing and like how I was leading them. So especially as a head coach, I feel like they feed off your energy um, a lot. Like they look at your facial expressions. They look at your body language. They know like, oh, coach isn't feeling it today. So my mistake was thinking that I had to feel good (laughs) for them to play good. So went into a game uh, where it was one of those teams where we could beat. It was going to be a stretch. We weren't as talented as them on paper, but I knew we could beat them. But inside, (laughs) Melanie was not sure. So I was not confident in the outcome. And so I overcompensated. I was like, we got this. We're going to beat them. But everything about my behavior was screaming, I don't trust it. I don't know, guys. So what do you know? They were as tightly wound as I was. Like, same thing that had been happening. Like, could have beat them but one bad thing happens quote unquote bad it was probably something like they got a hit (laughs) strung together two hits (laughs) and then of course because I was already spazzing out like I was like high energy I was talking more than usual like yipping at them not just (laughs) communicating we're like overdoing it and then of course that's just going to get in their heads and cause them to start spinning and what do you know had one of our worst games because hey they didn't think coach believed that it was possible so they're like okay well here we are so I let that uh my own lack of confidence and the feeling part of it spill into it and then it became a self-fulfilling prophecy (laughs) because that same team then went on when I was more chill another game and beat an even better team so like clearly they're capable (laughs) Melanie needs to chill out and you would think I would learn this lesson because it had happened before (laughs) We don't. we don't in the moment no and that's another good point too is like a lot of people think learning and growing is is linear like you you have that little bar graph and then you start in the bottom left and you go you're trying to go up to Mm -hmm. the top right but then some days it feels like you drop off the graph (laughs) you're like i shatter the graph the bottom is gone i'm below it i don't is there (laughs) are there negative points yeah (laughs) but really I like to think of it more as like rings on a tree, but if you like slice the tree out and you looked at the rings up, like you're looking at the face on a clock, 12 o'clock is when you're feeling it. 
you're good to go. Three is like, okay, I'm working hard. I kind of, the feelings are kind of fading, but I still have them in the back of my head. And then you get that six and you're like, forget this. <laughs> I'm quitting. Yeah. <laughs> and it could be caused by whatever. It could be even a win. Like, well, we should have won by more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you never know. But then what you find out is you're going to hit that six again. <laughs> it's going to happen. The trick is getting from the six to the nine getting that perspective, being more patient, (laughs) telling yourself to chill out, Melanie. That's usually my deal. And then you get back up to the 12 and voila, another ring on the tree. Mm -hmm. So really you're you're expanding outward as opposed to just working up and realizing that the downtime has to happen to get back up. And it's not the end of the world, even though it does feel like it in the moment. (laughs) In the moment, it's really tough, but It's that reflection piece. I think that's really important for coaches. If you, especially, even if you're starting new, right. Is, is reflect where you are now and what you've learned, but it, you know, and from, you know, to a 20 plus year career to a new coach and everywhere in between, I think you're going to have those moments. And if you don't take the time to learn from the time when you're at the six o'clock at the bottom and you, or the negative part of the graph, and it's like, can I continue to, can I, is there any lower number I can go? I want to quit. This sucks. Like, if you don't take the time to just take it for what it is and learn from it and grow from it and know that every coach, especially every successful coach has been even, they, they didn't, didn't just wake up and won national championships or state championships or, you know, PGF titles. Like they've been doing this for a very long time and they have been through the mud. They have, I want to say something else, but you would have to leave it out. You've been through the mud and, you've been drugged through it and you've almost drowned in it. And you're just like, get me off. If I swear to God, if I don't get off this train right now, I'm just done. And I've seen too many coaches quit because of so many things. And I just think that um, we all have the heart of gold. And I think it's so important that we just learn from our lessons. Like we teach the kids and want the kids to do. We have to live it. And that is a wrap on today's episode. If you enjoyed this topic, I encourage you to go back to episode 25, where Alicia and I talked about confidence for the first time on this show in a more in-depth way, talking about what it is, what it isn't, how to build true confidence versus just the feeling confident. And what's super interesting and a fun fact is that we recorded that show almost exactly two years ago today. And listening back to it, it's funny how our philosophy has not changed one bit. Maybe a little bit better at podcasting, hopefully, but it's super cool to see that these things keep coming back and they really get ingrained in you. So as a coach, you know what you're teaching, you know what you're going for, so trust that. Again, as a reminder, if you go back to old episodes, most of those things that we were offering, then just ignore them, right? On the day this podcast is released, we have wait lists available for our two boot camps coming up in December. Otherwise, you can always head to mentalsweetspot.com to learn what we've got going on. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to share it with a friend, simply send them to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash listen, which is one click. They'll be able to subscribe to the show on their podcast player of choice and be able to start listening immediately. You're going to also want to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we'll be announcing a contest soon, and we'll be giving away a super cool prize in exchange for you helping us spread the word about our show. And if you'd like to submit a question for us to answer on air, a guest you'd love us to have on, or just want to chat, please feel free to reach out to support at mentalsweetspot.com or shoot us a message on social media. Thank you again for joining us. Have a good one.